Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, I'm going to be reading our Bible readings today. So our first one is from Psalm 119 verses, sorry, give me a sec. 119 verses 97 to 112. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And the second reading is from 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So I will remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He received honor and glory from the from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning. Uh, it'd be good to keep that part of God's word open. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, in front of you, either on your device or the Pew Bible. That'd be really good. Uh, It's good to see you all. Um, Before we get into today's uh, message, uh, just a couple of things from me. One is, um, we're going to be thinking, we're in this series called God's Empowering Presence, looking at the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today we're up to week two. Last week we thought about, uh, I wasn't here, uh, but um, Phil took us through thinking, I think about how the Spirit is at work in creation and also in recreation, in regenerating us and giving us new life in Jesus. That it's by the Spirit that we come to rebirth through faith in Jesus Christ. And so on. Today we're thinking about, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit's work of illumination and inspiration. Uh, in, in connection with God's word. And I just wanted to say really quickly, uh, there's a little book here which I can highly recommend by Michael Bird. Uh, it's called Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible. Um, this is a great little book. Um, a whole bunch of reasons why I love this book. One is it's written by an Australian, um, nothing against people from other parts of the world. It's just nice to have books written by people who are kind of local. Um, We don't have to translate illustrations into our own sort of context all the time. So this is just a really neat, it's really good. Michael Bird is a um, lecturer at Ridley College in Melbourne. Uh, Yeah, Australian guy, good thoughtful fella. And this is just a really, it's you know, it's short. I love short books. That's the second reason to like this one. Um, And uh, it's kind of punchy as well. Um, And introduces us to some key thoughts about the Bible and how we can best um, understand the Bible as well and um, live in light of it in this world certain of the next. Um, I was going to give it as a lucky door prize to someone, but I like it that much, I'm not going to give it away. Um, But uh, no, if you want to borrow it, you can have it. That would be great. Um, The other thing to say is, um, I think there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people in the world who love, would love every day of the year to be 16 degrees, uh, where you can sort of wear a jumper and rug up. There's the other person who would love it to be 30 degrees every day, where you can just get around in shorts and a t-shirt and a singlet. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, which person are you? The 16 degree every day or the 30 degree every day? I'll give you a minute and a half to talk about that with each other. Go for it. I'll get you to draw those to a close. Who's, uh, who's the 16 degree every day? Far out. It's quite a few. And who's 30? All right, so all the 16s can move over here. All the 30, no. Um, sometimes when I ask these questions, you know, like, pretty regularly do this, right, where I get you to talk about something and rah, rah, and I often say, just wait, like, you'll see, um, you'll see how this connects to what I'm about to say. That's got nothing to do with anything I'm saying today at all. Um, it was just to get you talking amongst yourselves, but uh, 
How about we... Um, I'm going to pray as we come to God's word. And, but as we are thinking about this subject and over these few weeks of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, we know that the Holy Spirit is active and present among us. Uh, he dwells in every believer. And his work, which we'll think about actually next week more, is his work is to renovate us and make us more like Jesus, to, to apply the gospel to every part of our lives. And so before I pray, I'm going to ask you just to take a moment in the quietness of your own heart and ask the Lord uh, to be at work in your heart this morning uh, by his spirit. Maybe there's something you would love for him to reveal to you or say to you this morning that you need. I'm going to encourage you to just come before the Lord in quiet prayer in your heart and then I'll pray and then we'll get into it. So take a moment. sung already this morning, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. We believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so Father, we pray that by your Spirit and through your word, uh, teach us afresh those things we already know. And Father, by that same Spirit, teach us those things that we do not know. And in all things, Father, build us up in our faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus, who we are in him, and where he is taking us by your Spirit. So, Father, speak to us this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, you can make the Bible say whatever you like, can't you? You can make the Bible mean whatever you like, can't you? Have you heard that? People say that, don't they? It's a fairly common accusation. It's usually intended to dismiss Christians who seek to appeal to the Bible as their guide and authority in what they believe and how they live in the world. But it can be met with, yeah, but you know, like you Christians, you just make it up. You've got your own narrow point of view and you just use the Bible to kind of back it up. And sadly, that's sometimes true. But even worse accusation, I think, is when people say it's not just the Christians who make up the Bible, it's the Bible writers themselves who were just making it all up. In other words, you Christians are just sort of so naive and you're so gullible that you take these ancient writings written by ancient people in a pre-scientific era and you treat it as if what they said was true. 
You know, didn't you realise that you know, they just had some ideas, perhaps they had some religious experiences of some kind, they witnessed something they couldn't really fully understand, and so they came up with their own explanation and interpretation of it. It's all ancient stuff here in the Bible, but we live in a very different world now. We understand things heaps better, etc., etc. Heard that? You know, so you can't trust Christians who quote the Bible and you also can't trust the people who wrote the Bible. So either way, it's all dodgy, get real, move on. I'm sure you don't think like that because you probably wouldn't be thinking like that if you were here this morning, but you probably know people who do think like that. And so did Peter, the writer of our second Bible reading that we had this morning. Peter was living, he was an apostle, Peter was living in a world where people were saying exactly the same kind of thing. Um, he says later on in that letter we just had read, you know, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires, and they'll say, where is this second coming of the Lord? And so on and so forth. They were making a mockery of the Christians and their faith and the big story that Christians were telling about God, how he created the world, but how the world had fallen into sin and rebellion and how God had promised to redeem his creation, um, done through Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God who ushered in the new kingdom of God by dying on the cross for sin and rising to new life from the dead to overcome sin's curse and, and he's returning. And when Jesus comes back, there will be a day, the day of the Lord, a day of judgment, and he'll ultimately usher in then a new creation. That, of course, is the whole story, the teaching of the whole Bible, involving the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, which Peter reminds us of. But he also says there'll be people who are mocking and scoffing. They're saying, you know, where is this second coming of Jesus? Hmm? Hasn't happened yet. It ain't going to happen. So just relax, stop worrying, eat, drink, and be merry. It's just a big myth. I don't know if you remember um, this advertising campaign in the UK some years ago. Um, they often used these, you know, the big red London buses. Um, it was organised by the British Humanist Association. And if you can't read it, it basically says, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy life. That was the campaign. I rather liked the fairly clever church um, in the UK who had a bus stop literally outside their, um, their church building who posted a sign, there's probably no bus, uh, so step inside and enjoy God. <laughs> Which I think is really cool. But you can see the point of this, isn't it? Mockery and scoffing. Look, you Christians, you're just trying to scare us. But there really is no God to face, no judgment day, no final court of justice. It's happening today. It was happening in Peter's day. And Peter fights back. And in this letter, he sets out to defend and affirm the testimony of the apostles and the word of the Old Testament prophets, both inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words of the prophets and the apostles and who applies them to our lives. He seeks to defend and show that the prophets of old and the apostles of the new carry the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
What Peter does for us today as we continue our series in looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, what he does today is he seeks to authenticate the truth of the word of God by explaining two things. If you're a note taker, two things. One, what the apostles saw and heard. And secondly, how the prophets spoke and wrote. What the apostles saw and heard, how the prophets spoke and wrote. So firstly, what the apostles saw and heard. Um, here your Bible open, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're in at verse 16, um, through to 18 here. Uh, Peter writes to these Christians um, who are facing all kinds of challenges and being mocked and scoffed at. Um, he writes, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when, you told, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When Peter says we there, of course, he means himself, but also the other disciples who had known Jesus. That's who the we is in our text. And what Peter is saying is, you can trust what we told you about Jesus, about what he taught, about how he lived, about how he died, about how he rose again. You can trust us because why? We were there. We lived with him. We ate with him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We were, as he writes, eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he adds in verse 17 through 18, he, Jesus, received honour and glory from God the Father when, his, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. What Peter refers to here is that great experience that Peter, James, and John had on the Mount of Transfiguration, as recorded in the Gospels. When Peter, James, and John went up on the mountain with Jesus, the sacred mountain, which interestingly is the same language used to describe Mount Sinai and where God spoke to Moses back in Exodus. It's also how the Old Testament describes Zion, which is where God has put his name and his glory in the temple. And Peter says, we were there. We were there on the mountain with Jesus too. And we saw his transcendent glory. So great was his glory that we were almost blinded. And we heard the voice of God, the Father declaring, this is my son. So Peter says, we know what we saw. We know what we heard. And like John, the Apostle John, he was on that mountain as well. And he adds, John writes in his first letter, hear this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which we, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying, what John is saying, we didn't make all this up. We know what we're talking about. We were there. We were eyewitnesses. This isn't fabricated kind of nonsense. This is no senseless myth or rumor. And so we, and here I mean you and me, today, and all those who read this letter, 
We have the word of the apostles. And we have it in what we now call the New Testament, the combined biographies of Jesus, the Gospels, the historical accounts and the letters. And they are authorised by Christ, taught by the Holy Spirit. And what this passage is saying is that we can trust these documents because we can trust the sources. Because the sources were eyewitnesses, people who were actually there. Okay, well, that's all good for the New Testament, you might say. But what about the Old Testament, that bigger part of the Bible that we have? Um, Surely now that we've got Jesus, now that we've got the New Testament, isn't the Old Testament pretty well redundant? Aren't they just a bunch of religious ideas connected to the Jewish people of old and we don't need them anymore? Not at all, says Peter. In fact, quite the opposite. Peter goes on to say that what the apostles heard and what they saw, what they experienced was all pointing to Jesus, Messiah, Lord and Saviour. And it only sought to confirm the, the truth and reliability of the prophet's word, as he recalls in verse 19. Peter says, in addition to the fact that we were with Jesus, we also have the words of the prophets, even more reliable. Notice that. In other words, we always knew that it was true, but now in light of Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures are totally validated. And so we pivot now to to Peter's second claim. We can trust the Bible, we can trust Jesus, not only because of what the apostles saw and what they heard, but also because of how the prophets spoke and wrote. Point two then, how the prophets spoke and wrote, and if you're a note taker, here's, I've got, like this is a classic Jacko sermon, right? Two points with about 60 sub points underneath each point, right? Um, my second point is how the prophet spoke and wrote. But here I wanna see three things. What we've got, how we got it, and why it matters. What we've got, how we got it, and why it matters. Firstly, what we've got. Peter says in verse 19, we also have, in addition to the apostles seeing and hearing their testimony, their eyewitness, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What have we got? We have the prophetic word, completely reliable. Prophetic message, it says here, literally prophetic word, of course. Uh, This would include books of the prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Hosea, Nahum, Malachi, etc. But in a number of other places, it refers to the whole of the Old Testament from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. And I suspect that's what Peter means here. The, The law, the prophets, the wisdom writings, all of it. All the scriptures that were known to Jesus and the disciples and the apostles. Peter says we have them and we can trust them. They're utterly reliable. And their reliability in one sense is proved because they were fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He himself puts a stamp of approval on these Old Testament words. So we can trust them. And we should use them. That's why Peter adds the phrase, you just see it, and you will pay, you will do well to pay attention to it. It's a very emphatic way of saying, please, 
Like, please. You know, it's like when I tell my son, please clean your room. You will do well to pay attention to cleaning your room. No, you know. <laughs> please learn, read, study the scriptures, the words of the, the prophets, the Old Testament. Why should we read these Old Testament scriptures? Peter says, verse 19, because they're like a lamp shining in the dark, a murky place. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic message, the prophetic word as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When Peter uses the word dark here, it's not just a general dark. It's like a dark that's so dark you can't even feel your way around. Um, terrifying. And of course, he's describing the world in which we live. A world of sin, corruption, violence, temptation, unjust war, exploitation. A world that we live in that we can find confusing and challenging, that I can find confusing and challenging at times. At the very least, pretty exhausting. And here Peter says, God has given us a lamp, a light. Not a floodlight. I don't think he's got like a, you know, like a floodlight at Adelaide Oval in mind here. I think he's thinking more like a little oil lamp that you would sort of just give enough light to keep you going forward in the dark. Anyone here um, kind of grow up using Scripture Union Bible study notes? Yeah, a few people have. Remember the, the symbol for Scripture Union? Like a little lamp in the, with the oil? Yeah. I think that's what's going on. You know, and I, I came to the Christian faith sort of later in life. I didn't sort of grow up with these kind of resources, but I've used them from time to time. They're actually excellent. And um, those who use them tell me that you know, you're encouraged before you come to read the word every day to pray, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, right? Words straight out of Psalm 119. That sense of God and his word being a lamp, a light, a guide through the darkness, the confusion, the exhaustion. Paul, the apostle, uses a slightly different picture in 2 Timothy, but it means the same thing. He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, um, actually in a very similar context to Peter. He writes, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Peter and Paul, two apostles, agree that the scriptures, including the Old Testament, are there for our guidance and for our profit. The challenge is for you and for me is do we pay attention to it? If we never pay attention to it, as Peter says, then probably we'll have a rather inadequate understanding of Jesus himself and the gospel that he proclaimed. Peter says we need the light of the word of God until the day dawns, verse 19, and the morning star rises in your hearts. The Lord will come. The sun will come up. Then perhaps we won't need the Bible any longer. When Jesus returns, I'm pretty convinced I'll be out of work, right? If you're an evangelist here today, you'll have nothing to do. You'll have to find something else to do in the new creation. I don't know. But until that great and glorious 
and terrifying day when the Lord Jesus returns in glory, until the sun rises, until the Lord returns, we need the light of the word of God and the truth that it teaches, and we need the Holy Spirit to be applying that word to our hearts and our lives and every part of us. And that's what we've got, a reliable word, a reliable message. But how do we get it? How did we get the word? It's what Peter turns to in verses 20 to 21. You see, if we're going to believe that the Old Testament is completely reliable using Peter's words, if we're going to use it like a, a lamp for our feet that will guide us and help us and encourage us to stay the course until Jesus returns, then we need to know how it came into existence. We need to know who wrote all 66 books of the Bible. Where did this content come from? And in these two verses, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 through 21, we, we meet, get the answer. And Peter makes here two negative points about that and one very positive point. See if you can spot them. Verse 20. Um, in fact, I've given them to you. There you go, um, on the screen. Above all, Peter says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Very famous verse. First negative, prophecy didn't come from the prophet's own interpretation of things. The prophets prophesied of the salvation to come at the instigation of the Spirit of Christ that was in them. Prophecy didn't come to these men and women on the basis of how they interpreted their own experiences that they were having. It wasn't just their own interpretation. Second negative, it was not by human will, verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, Peter is saying, being a prophet, speaking out the word of God, and then somehow having it written down by yourself or by a scribe, the task of being a prophet, of speaking of God, was not some kind of glittering career that people would choose and go, oh, I'd just love to do that. I can't remember if it was in like, you know, year 10 or 11, I don't know when it happens these days, when you have like career counseling at school, you know, when you, I don't know, you fill out a survey, you know, and if you're down in the dumps, it's like, you should be a funeral director, you know, like something like that, or I've heard that happen actually, you know. They didn't go on to do that career. But you know, like, you know, I want to be a physio. When I, when, I, when I filled that out, I was like, I want to be a physiotherapist. I love cycling. I love cricket. I wanted to be Errol Alcott, if you remember him. He was the Australian cricket physiotherapist, traveling the world, you know, massaging Shane Warne's calves, you know, I don't know, giving Glenn McGrath a shoulder rub, you know, let's not go too far. But you know, like, I thought, that's me. Meanwhile, like Errol Alcott had that job for like 500 years. You know, it wasn't like I was going to step in. I wanted to be that. When I, I did physiotherapy, this is not in my notes and this is bad, but um, I went into, um, I, when I, I wanted to do physiotherapy at school. I had this dream, right? Yeah, being a sports physio to the Richmond Football Club, you know, rah, rah, whatever it was. 
My first lecture in physiotherapy, we all sat down, all these eager people, keen to study physiotherapy, keen to be sports physios. The director of the University of Sydney physio program said, welcome to the program. You've done really well to be here. Just wanted to let you know, most of you are going to end up walking up and down hospital wards, helping people cough up phlegm. <laughs> Everyone left. No, no. All that to say, you know, like, being a prophet was not like a glittering career that you went, yes, I can't wait to be a, you know, a, a prophet. It wasn't like that. It wasn't a career choice at all. The true prophets we read of in the Bible were on whole people who didn't want to do the job. Moses, send someone else, please. I don't want to go. Jeremiah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm way too young. I can't be a prophet, you know. Um, you know, he struggled all his life, right, not wanting to be a preacher of the word of God. Um, Isaiah, I'm too sinful. No way, you can't send me. Amos, I'm just a shepherd. I look after sycamore trees. But the Lord took him and used him as a prophet. Peter is saying it wasn't a matter of human will at all. The words that we have on the pages of our Bible didn't originate in the will or decision of a human being. Where did it come from? Well, we come to the crucial second half of verse 21, a crucial statement about the Bible. Peter says, and I'll read from verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The literal word order in the original language, I think, helps here. Basically, it's this. Not by the will of man that any prophecy came, but by the Holy Spirit carrying them from God, men spoke. Peter does say it was people, like humans, who spoke. But not their own thinking or will was it them. The people who spoke and wrote the words that we now have in our Bible were fully human, like me, like you. They lived in their own historical context. They shared the culture of the people around them. They thought, they felt, they struggled. They had victories. They had losses. They experienced joys and griefs. They had personalities. They had different abilities and grasps with the original languages. We see that reflected. In every sense, they were humans. That's why we need to pay attention, brothers and sisters, when we read the Bible to the context and the history and the cultural world around it and the language they used and the illustrations they worked with, the literature that they were accustomed to and are embracing. Peter says, yes, men, humans spoke. The words were human, but the message was divine. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The words were from God. The words spoken and written were entirely what God wanted to be spoken and to be written because God was overseeing the process, superintending the whole thing. There is, of course, some mystery here. I grant that. But Peter is not suggesting that the writers were simply like dictation robots or machines, you know, just like with a pen blankly standing there, just like guided along, not really involved at all, right? They were human. 
But in the midst of it all, what we have in the Bible is what God wants us to have, the words of Moses, the words of Jeremiah, the words of David, the words of Paul, the words of John. But through those words, the words of God. Breathed out by God. Um, The technical word for this is that the Holy Spirit inspires the word of God. It's inspiration. But I think in, in many ways, it's like you know, when you get that language of Paul in 2 Timothy 3, right? It's breathed out. It's not like, it's more like breathed out, inspiring, carrying along the writers. And we see this kind of dual work of, of God, the Spirit, um, inspiring human authors all over the place. I can't give you every illustration, but Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Um, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah. My point, words of Jeremiah, words of the Lord. Um, Same thing, if you took a look at the great reformation time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, When Ezra was asked to read the scrolls of the Lord for the people, They stood for a whole week listening to him. Imagine standing for a whole week listening to me. (laughs) You wouldn't want to do that. They stood for a whole week listening to the law. They asked him to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel and is later described as the law of Moses and the law of God, both at the same time, the dual authorship of Scripture. And we actually see this, brothers and sisters, in the life and person of Jesus himself. We read in the New Testament that Jesus was entirely 100% human. He was human, just like us. Body, flesh, blood, conceived, born, grew up physically, grew up intellectually. He was every bit as human as you and me. But he also was the one in whom the fullness of God dwelt Bodily, he was 100% divine. Now, don't muck up the maths, right? 100% plus 100% equals 200%. 100% God, 100% man. The Bible comes to us in human words, but it comes to us from God, inspired by the Spirit. By the Spirit, carrying them from God, men spoke, says Peter. Um. Theologian Kevin Van Hooser writes this. It's coming up. The scriptures are the Spirit's work from first to last. The Spirit is involved in the very messy historical process of producing scripture, prompting, appropriating, and coordinating human discourse to present God's word, as well as in the process of bringing understanding of scripture among present-day readers. The traditional names for these modes of participation are inspiration and illumination. The Spirit inspired the divine word of the past. The same Spirit activates, illuminates, opens our eyes, unstops our deaf ears, softens our hard hearts to receive that same word today. That's what we've got. And that's how we got it. Let me tie things together then with why it matters. This is, we'll finish with this. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? 
Why does it matter that we can trust the apostles and their good news about Jesus in the kingdom of God? Why does it matter that we can trust the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament in the way that it prepares us for the coming of Jesus? Why does it matter that Peter insists that he keeps reminding followers of Jesus of these things? Why does it matter that we pay attention to the whole Bible and use it as a guide, a lamp, as we make our way through the darkness, the messiness of this world, awaiting for the sun to rise? Why does it matter that what we have in the Bible are not simply the words of men and women, but are the very words of God? Why does it matter that the Spirit both inspires and illuminates the Word? Let me finish with four reasons why it matters. They're brief, by the way. Maybe. What's the first reason why it matters? It matters because Jesus will return. To honour the Apostle Peter and his letter here, it's the point Peter is reminding his original readers about and by extension he's reminding us about today. The great and terrifying and glorious day of Jesus' return is the next great event in world history. It's not the federal election, although that's important. It's it's the return of Christ, where he will return to make all things new, to deal with every single injustice that there has ever been, to right the wrongs of the war in Ukraine at the moment and Russia and lots of stuff. He will come and sort everything out. And as a Christian, that is a fundamental part of what we, who we are. And of course, people will mock. We will doubt And we will question whether it's true from time to time, but it will happen according to the word of God. And this motivates us to keep living for Jesus. It motivates us to keep holding out the good news of Jesus. It motivates us to keep fighting sin because in the new creation, sin will not exist. Empowers us to keep persevering in godliness. It's the power of the promises of God that ought to get us out of bed every morning. Um, If you've been around church long enough, you'll know that I pretty much sign off every message, email or text with KTJ or keep trusting Jesus. I've sort of amped that up a little bit lately and you might have noticed this, I've been saying keep looking up. Um, It's not just like a pithy little kind of positive psychology thing. Keep looking up even though things are terrible. Keep looking up. Keep looking up for Jesus to come on the clouds of heaven to make all things new and to meet us in the air and deal with sin, death and decay once and for all and take us to his glorious new creation. Keep looking up. To honour Peter, I think that's the first reason why it's good, why it matters. Second, what we have in our Bibles is truth. God the Holy Spirit inspired these words. They're not simply random people's ideas or myths or visions or hopeful stories of the world to kind of just keep us going. 
This is God's story of salvation written to communicate God's love and his mercy and his purposes and his promises all focused on Jesus. What we have here is truth. Thirdly, dependence. The same spirit that inspired the words we have in our Bible is the same spirit who illuminates these words. So as we read the word of God, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what he has said. That we can understand it, that we can comprehend it, and we can live it. As Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So brothers and sisters, we have the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Through him, God brings understanding to our minds and to our hearts so we can grasp every day the the, the wonder, the gloriousness of God's grace, the magnificence of God's mercy and the preciousness of knowing his plans and promises. We can, why does it matter? Because Jesus will return. Why does it matter? Because what we have in our Bibles is the truth. Why does it matter? Because as we read the truth, we depend on the same spirit who inspired the words to illuminate it for us. And fourthly and finally, why does it matter? It gives us assurance. You know, here we have, in the words of God, a fixed point when everything else is in flux a place to stand that gives us clarity and light, leverage and anchor for our souls amidst the dark world, amidst the confusion, amidst the exhaustion. There's one thing that as a pastor, it's my responsibility to do is to make sure we all know that through faith in the Lord Jesus alone, we are assured of salvation. And how do we know that? Through the Spirit-inspired Word of God. Assurance. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to inspire your word, to open our eyes to see Jesus. Thank you for sending the Spirit to unstop our deaf ears to hear Jesus. Thank you for the Spirit who softens our hard hearts so that we would love Jesus. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to comfort us in our weakness. Father, By your spirit, give us strength when we struggle to take another step. Guide us into all truth. Remind us of your ways. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us boldness to testify to the truth of the gospel. Boldness, Father, to invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives, making us more like Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, by your Spirit, shape us, mould us 
into a purer reflection of your Son. Work in us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.